This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. This show will be going up tomorrow, and it is our 284th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an outstanding chef from one of New York City's most popular restaurants, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to own your style. They say style is a combination of self-knowledge and self-confidence. In other words, it's your attitude that shows the world who you are, both on the inside and out. So whether you're into big and bold or more reserved and graceful, discover your sense of style and then own it. As if it works for you, that's all that matters. That's my tip today. All right, I'm so excited. I'm back on location. This week it's at Il Buco Elementary e Vin Aria in NoHo, New York City. And I'm with the restaurant's executive chef, Justin Smiley. After attending the Culinary Institute of America, Justin went on to work at John George Von Richten's Mercer Kitchen, Danny Meyer's Gramercy Tavern, and then Jonathan Waxman's Washington Park, where he fell in love with the bold flavors and rustic techniques. After, after working with Danielle Silverman on the opening of The Standard in New York, as well as other Andre Bellas properties, he was introduced to Obuko's owner, Donna Leonard, who tapped him as executive chef of the Italian Trattoria, where he earned three stars from the New York Times. In 2014, Justin collaborated with Stephen Starr on Upland in New York City and later a Miami outpost before returning to Obuko in two. In 2020, he and Donna have recently launched Smiley Pizza in an ode to Justin's Cal Italian background and style of cooking. So hi, Justin. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, I should actually say. (laughs) So I always like to start with my guests and find out about their background and how they got into cooking and what they're doing today. So you want to take us back to, to Cali? So, I mean, I relocated from California. My dad got a job transfer back east. We moved here like end of 93. Um, And I started cooking kind of 96, 97. Uh, Originally as a dishwasher. I started at this restaurant called the Chesapeake Bay Seafood Company, which is in Long Valley, New Jersey. Um, Pretty traditional Chesapeake style, like my first job cooking after 
working in the dish pit was killing blue claw crabs and steaming them. And we would do like 30 bushels a day. Um, and even smelling like that and, you know, manning like cauldrons all day. I kind of fell in love with it right away. Gravitated to the energy, spent about a year and a half there. And then I went to work for Ed Stone at the Bernard's Inn uh, in New Jersey. And I was there for about a year and a half. And I went there and I tried to cook in the kitchen upstairs. And he said, I think, you know, you'd be really wise to spend a little time downstairs. Um, so I kind of took the Comey position and I learned how to stock shelves, peel vegetables, butcher meat, um, proper storage, like really the inner workings of the kitchen. And foundationally, most of my work happens in the prep kitchen before we get to live service. So it was pretty informative early in my career. So what inspired you to then want to go to the CIA? I mean, it just kind of seemed like the natural progression of the day. Mm -hmm. um, I had worked with a bunch of CIA kind of grads and people that were on their externships. And, you know, it just seemed like the right thing to do. I went. Um, I didn't go all the way through. I finished my externship and then I kind of moved to New York City full time. And that's when you started working with John George? That was like John George and then Gramercy. Um, and I kind of bopped around those kinds of restaurants for about two and a half, three years. And then I met Jonathan Waxman, first at Washington Park, and then he gave me my first CDC job at Barbudo. Um, I was 26 years old. I really had no idea what I was doing as a chef. I mean, at that point, I'd become a pretty solid like line cook. I knew how to order. I knew where to buy stuff at the market. Um, but then learning how to bring all of those elements like to life with the team probably took another five years. Yeah, and then how long were you with Waxman? About eight and a half, nine years between both. Um, you know, so a long time. I didn't necessarily intend on staying that long in the beginning, um, but there just kept being more and more reasons to explore. Um, you know, and then the menu changed every day. So for me, at that stage of my career, as a cook, as a young chef, it was instrumental because, you know, sky was kind of the limit. We played with all different kinds of products. Um, and like repetitions kind of where, it's what gets you where you want to go. And that's where I originally kind of fell in love with like Italian food. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jonathan's partner at the time was Fabrizio Ferri the fashion photographer, and he's actually the one that originally taught me how to make carbonara and cacio pepe, like very Roman style, like his grandma. Um, yeah. So it was kind of, it was like a wide, it was like, a, like I guess, an eye-opening moment. Um, and, you know, it was also where I started to learn not only from chefs, but from other people who make food, other walks of life, and, you know, allow myself to unlearn in, in order to learn. Right. So you, you worked then with the standard after. And then after Waxman, bopped around a little bit. Uh, and then I ended up with Dan Silverman, Silverton, sorry, Dan Silverman at the standard. And he said, I have this job out east for you. And that's where I originally went out to Sunset Beach on Shelter Island. Um, that was kind of my first foray out east. And for like a young chef, you're on an island, there's no second runs. Um, it's a very demanding clientele. So it was really kind of like the most informative part of my career as far as like organization 
Mm-hmm. Um, like if you miss an order, there's no second chances. Um, and we were doing a thousand people a day. So you learn how to kind of build and orchestrate your recipes a little bit differently so you can maintain quality when you're cranking up that kind of volume. Yeah, and is this where Donna discovered your food? It is. Uh, there was a guy, Troy Weissman, who was the wine director out there. Um, he had just left John George. And he introduced me to a friend of his, Lee Chaslow, who was the director of ops when Il Buco was expanding into Alimentari. And Troy said, I got this guy coming for dinner. You want to cook for him? Made him a tasting and then kind of linked me up with Donna. And then that's kind of how we began. Yeah, so so from from when you began to now, how, how have things progressed? How has your menu changed? What has been around forever? <laughs> I think, you know, again, like so much of my work, circles around like production, early salting, pickling, brining, and all the things that you can do kind of ahead of that party to make sure that it's like really delicious. And then I think, you know, we kind of, you know, expand and contract a little bit and then like you shed things as you go, like whether it's like a spice or, you know, a fancy vinegar or you decide that it needs like a punchier kind of like olive oil. I think palates progress, um, but I'm always very ingredient focused. So it's just kind of like, you know, figuring out different ways to kind of like shape those ingredients. Yeah. So someone who hasn't been here or to any of the Il Buco properties, because there's more than one, you want to take us through a little bit? Um, because I'm, I'm more familiar, uh, but not only are... Have I mean I I love your food and I've enjoyed so many meals at, at these Il Buco restaurants, but the aesthetic and the space itself, the spaces are beautiful and um, have just their own style. I would say there's you know I want to move in. <laughs> I mean I think that that's what Donna is really masterful at, you yeah. know, in creating spaces. I mean her spaces are a pleasure to cook in. Um, because they are so comfortable and they are so like warm and welcoming. Um, like Ilbuco Bond Street started in 94 um, and this neighborhood has changed a thousand times since then. Um, you know, and it's just had such a long legacy of like really talented chefs like Jody Williams, Sarah Jenkins, Ignacio Matos. Oh wow, amazing. You know, it's... You know, it's probably the most nervous I've ever been coming into a chef job because there's so much to live up to. Um, and while we were opening Alimentar, I spent about five and a half months there, um, kind of getting my chops. And that's pretty hardcore Umbrian, like very traditional, you know, but I think the common thread through all is like it's very craft person. Um, it's very handmade. It also has, it always has to be like just a little like messed up, you know, and thinking that's like where Don and I come together is like we really share that kind of high-low philosophy, you know? Yeah. Um, and we need to talk about the market. I'll segue into my question from my last week's guests. On episode 283, I had on chef owner Chris Chipalone and owner-operator John Winterman of Francie in South Williamsburg. Brooklyn, and uh, they asked, they said, recalling that Obuko 
has the market section up in the front. Have you expanded that to stay open during the pandemic? And will you continue to do so? And was it successful for you? And what are people buying? Because it is very unique that you have this market. I mean, definitely reopening it gave us some really good bones. Um, you know, and we were in the beginning just really doing like the staple items that people can build, you know, their meal out of, you know, which is always the Sicilian salt, the olive oil and the vinegar, like the Trinity, which is really, you know, classic to the Italian table. Um, you know, then we've had like recent luck, we're selling a ton of anchovy dressing every week. Like people will come in and buy it by the tens. Um, we started selling, you know, ahi hot sauce. We started doing a Japanese Wagyu brisala. Um, some of our fresh cheeses, selling things in different formats. Like we might be looking at selling bread, you know, sliced now, which we've never really done before. Um, I guess, you know, like any market, we're just trying to reflect the neighborhood. Yeah. So how did... Uh, these are these are things that you introduced this past year or I mean it's it's always been there I mean like strange I mean like the timing is kind of perfect right because yeah. being a market and now was probably the best time for us ever well I mean I think a lot of restaurants uh, took your lead in a sense or this year has been so challenging and many restaurants you never thought before about having a market or gross offer grocery items started to so um i guess we could say you're the og yeah <laughs> that's funny um but it's true it's true and it's it's beautiful it's beautiful products what um how much of that is the business or was the business and now i mean it's always been the business you know i mean alimentari will be 10 years old in september mm -hmm. um you know and i think it's changed a lot i mean it started very, very, very traditional Italian, and now we're trying to introduce like more local people as well to kind of like compliment. I think the biggest effort when we were, you know, entering reopening after, you know, everything was super weird last year was finding things that like went together, you know? Yeah. So find a reason to really have the piece of bread go with a hunk of Parmesan or help someone kind of, you know, build a pasta kit, you know, out of like our guanciale, maybe some other like, you know, super nice Parmesan that we were finding. Um, and, you know, inform the staff in a way that they could kind of like help personalize and like shop for the client. And then that evolved into doing kind of like the boxes, you know, and then we started doing talk, we started doing table 22 as a way to kind of like generate more revenue um, yeah. and increase our digital footprint. Yeah. So let's go, let's go back and talk a little more about the pandemic and what happened here. The, did you uh, shut down, uh, stop service at the restaurant, do takeout delivery, to implement? I know I. They did. Like I mean, I came back in May, um, and it you know it was only to go, and we'd have like two little tables outside that people could kind of like lean up against. Um, you and they know, were the happiest people ever. Still boarded <laughs> up, but it was just trying to, you know, it, it, it's it's cooking blindfolded, mm -hmm. you know, and it's right. like serving blindfolded, and there had to be some way to kind of still bring beautiful products to the client, and they couldn't really, like, touch with their hands, and, like, all of these sensory things were removed, and I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that this entire thing is, like, taught us all. Yeah, yeah, well... 
and then I ran into and ran into in Montauk. Let's talk about uh, what you're doing out there. Montauk kind of came up very quickly, beginning of June. Um, it was at the Maram Hotel, which is like the last hotel on the beach. Beautiful. Um, a very nice place to kind of peek back out into the land of the living. Um, and we did like a little to-go cafe pop-up. Uh, the summer before, it was Fernando Trocas uh, from Mostrador, and he has a place in Santa Teresita. Um, and then with COVID, they weren't able to get the visas organized and everything kind of put together. So we kind of, you know, had a relationship. So we just kept their seat warm last summer. And they're coming back this summer. Well, it um, was a nice little escape, right? It was a blast. <laughs> I mean, it got super busy. And, you know, I think for me, being able to offer people nice ingredients, simple and still like a to-go format mm -hmm. and kind of like nourish that healthier style of eating, I think was the thing that we took away the most. Um, and the to-go, like, you know, it made everybody feel safe and, you know, we all had kind of like a personal commitment to each other's safety. Right. And it was a very small team and it helped us get people back into, you know, jobs mm -hmm. sooner. Yeah, yeah. Are you, do you have any plans to go back to to the Hamptons or do something pop-up-wise this summer? We're working on some stuff right now. Um, that will release pretty soon. No breaking news today. No breaking news today. <laughs> Lips That's okay. sealed. Um, but we had such a great summer out there. And, you know, I think that that's the thing about the Ibuco brand, you know, is it fits in so many different kinds of places just because it is always about, you know, superior ingredients, really simple, warm setting, you know, casual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you also started making some uh, smiley pizza. We did. Um, you know, again, it was just a way to kind of test the digital footprint and, you know, increase more revenue. Our busiest days, we're selling like 120 to-go pizzas. Um, out of what kitchen are you cooking? Out of the main kitchen here. Here, um, yeah. And they all start because we have a bread oven that sits empty many, many hours a day, you know, so the bread comes out first thing in the morning. And then, you know, it was just a way to kind of capitalize on a piece of equipment, you know, that we had sitting otherwise um, and generate some more revenue. Yeah, well, your pizza is delicious. I can you very much. to that. I had it the other day. How do you describe your pizza style? I mean, I think pizza is one of those things that really kind of changes anywhere you cook it. And I know that like a lot of people say that, but you know, it is the amount of humidity in the air, how dry it is, the kind of oven that you're cooking in. You know, I've had variations of the same dough now for about 10 years, and it kind of shifts every time I bring it somewhere else. Okay. I don't that's know. I mean, I don't know if that's a, you yeah. know, a fair answer. I mean, you know, it's... Well, like, I think people always say, I don't know, the water makes a difference, or I, or, or maybe it doesn't. I mean, I mean the water totally does. I mean, for me, it's always like managing moisture um, and the amount of reflectory heat. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how quickly you're going to cook the dough. Um, we try to make sure that, you know, because it is a mixture of these ancient grains um, that we're bringing in from Italy. And, you know, it's actually like Jersey local tomatoes. It's mozzarella that we're making in-house. Um, 
And it's really just trying to help those ingredients kind of sing, whether it's like, you know, even like little oregano or like the kind of pepperoncino that we choose. You know, because the thing with Alimentari is it's really about kind of curating and putting all these to get these ingredients together so that they're in concert. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to fuse into the pizza pie right now. Um, but, you know, if you take a dough and you cook it six different places, if you cook it a little bit ahead, you know, during pandemic, I was like making pizzas for my kids and I was just freezing it. So if my mom or if my wife wanted to pull it out, super easy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the fun thing about pizza. You know, yeah. in Montauk, we were cooking out of a convection oven. Okay. And like little cast iron mm-hmm. pans. Right. You know, so it's, again, like, you know, and we were cooking them in a deeper cast iron pan. So it had kind of this like, you know, higher ridge on the side, you know, when yeah. it actually had like that deck spring. You know, right. And then we got to a place of where we were cooking him twice in Montauk, cook the skin out, dress it, and then cook it again. And that's how we figured out how to get around like all the humidity that was out there in the middle of the summer. Wow. If I can only figure that out with my hair. Right? You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, I make a joke, but I'm serious at the same time. Um, well, cool. So the pizzas, is it, um, it's a permanent thing? For now, or? It's a permanent thing. Okay. We're kind of starting to look for like maybe like a little space to do it now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I just want to keep it fun. Like my starting point, like I am from California. So my early pizza memories are definitely more Southern California, which is kind of a little more sour, but like a little bit more crispy um, with brighter ingredients. What would be um, a pizza spot out there that you would that you think back about or you'd recommend today? I mean, I should never say this out loud, but like round table pizza. Okay. Because <laughs> um, it had kind of that uh-huh. like really crispy bottom. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure there's like a bazillion places we went after like soccer or karate, <laughs> like in the 80s. Right. But it was definitely a different pizza um, Yeah. than I've had here. Well, I'm not familiar with that one, but I, when I think back of my childhood growing up in Miami we had a place called Cazzoli's which I don't think exists anymore but it was it was like a round just traditional pizza I don't know it was our go-to it's my memories of pizza yeah I mean and it's you know I don't think I could quite I I have trouble like faking it so I can kind of only cook things that Mm -hmm. like really like resonate with me right um you know and I think I'm just going to keep working on it yeah so what is it you love most about being a chef or what, what, what drives you? I mean, I love every day is different. There's always a tremendous amount of energy. I love the exchange of ideas. I love that my day in the summertime will start at the market, um, you know, and then maybe end with the deuce, you know, just people coming together for the first time. Um, you know, again, like working my hands and crafting and you know, getting to kind of like work around the table with other people is definitely one of the things I miss the most. Um, I think a lot of chefs felt a little lost during this first time. It's like, well, what do we do now? I mean, most yeah. of my career had been 65, 70, 80 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And then you get to this place where you're like, stop. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for all of us, but particularly, I think in, yeah, people we don't know how to fill our time Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and like when you live when you live at night you don't i don't even think you necessarily know how to fill up the morning um 
But it's weird. In my 40s, I'm, I've become much more of a morning person. You know, and now I love waking up the restaurant more than anything else. Yeah, you it's know. interesting how we change as we get older. It does, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, service is like still very important to me, but you know, getting everybody off to the right start in the morning, I think is the most important yeah. thing. All right, before we take a break, one more question. What would you advise someone listening who wants to be a chef, a, a young cook out there now who maybe wants to own his own place, or I mean, what's what, do, what, what would you tell them? Practice your math uh, and cook all the time. You know, cook in different ovens, cook in different metals, cook with different ingredients, different fats. Just cook, 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 and then taste. You know, you have to eat. Um, be super self-critical. Imagine you're on the receiving end of the dish. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I always aim to be as craveable as possible, you know, and there's got to be a hook. You know, and whether that's like crunchy or bright and acidic or like whatever that like flavor nuance is, um, you know, you get to that place. And I think you were saying at the beginning, it's like finding yourself and trying to be authentic um, is super important. In the beginning, you're kind of just learning the motions. And then as you go, you kind of like start developing like what your preferences are, you know, so like just listen to those preferences as you go and then go be a little bit more authentic on the plate as you Great advice. Awesome. Okay, let's take a little break. We'll come back. We'll play my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. I have a solo dining experience, of course, this week. And we'll have the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. In this last year, with so many challenges in the industry, the hospitality community has shown their resilience and adaptability by bringing forth new and innovative ideas and reinventing both guest experiences and industry standards. The United States Bartenders Guild and Diageo have also reimagined the world-class bartending competition creating for the first time ever a virtual week-long event that everyone 21 or over is invited to attend. In collaboration with Diageo Bar Academy, you can now watch the top 50 bartenders compete to represent the U.S. at the Global Finals in Madrid, Spain in July 2021. The world-class U.S. Finals include four fierce and exciting challenges, from the menu challenge to what might be my favorite, speed round with the top five competitors. More than a dozen events include expert-led panels such as food flavors and locality and decoding menus. One of the amazing contenders will be crowned the 2021 U.S. Bartender of the Year at their big announcement event on April 6th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Register now for free and gain access to all the competitions and behind-the-scenes action. Visit DiageoBarAcademy.com, click on World Class, and you can watch live on the main stage or view past competitions on demand. And again, that's DiageoBarAcademy.com, D-I-A-G-E-O BarAcademy.com. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States, bringing more plant-based consumers 
in your doors with easy to use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat, and it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble. Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appetit says, it's so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Justin Smiley. It's time for my speed round, so here we go. Uh, what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Let's do this. Don't be scared. This is going to be fun. First one. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Cook in. Hook in, like it. Wine, beer, cocktail, soft cocktail, or champagne? Uh, water these days. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? In between? In between probably sm- Probably small plates. Yeah. I like to have a lot of different flavors, colors, and textures on the table. Mm-hmm. Cool. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? All-inclusive. Pizza or pasta? Pizza. Montauk or Miami? Montauk. Two more, cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. There we go. That was quick. You know what you like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for industry news, there wasn't anything I thought that was so epic this week, except actually I take that back. I thought this was epic. <laughs> Balthazar is back. <laughs> um, it's just good news for, for us in the restaurant industry. So there's an article on Grub Street entitled Balthazar Reunited, Setting the Table for Reopening. And this was by Louis Cheslaw. And um, yeah, Balthazar is just one of those classic restaurants in New York. It had opened in 1997 by Keith McNally, who's legendary restaurateur. And it had been closed since the pandemic started back in last March. March. Yeah. 
and they just opened their doors, I think it's March 24th was the opening date last mm -hmm. week. And um, I can, I'm excited to go. I'm planning, I have a reservation coming up. I mean, it's just one of those restaurants I, I appreciate and I think New Yorkers and people appreciate. Yeah, I mean, definitely a standby. Keith, another master of making your room feel mm -hmm. lived in and like lived in from like day one. Mm -hmm. um, and it really, that restaurant has matured so beautifully and it's, I mean, just generations of good food. Yeah, yeah. And so many, um, uh, so many people have, I'd say, uh, taken inspiration from Keith's designs. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that is just the classic what he does with mirrors and uh, his bars and uh, he's yeah he creates a great room I mean I think someone told me like when they were opening Minetta that they had taken off like every piece of knickknack tchotchke like what have you and everything was placed back in exactly the same location you know yeah yeah I can imagine um, but yeah, they're open, they're doing outdoor dining. I've been seeing lots of posts. Um, I, in this article, it said that 13 of Balthazard's 119 employees have worked there since the day it opened. Wow. Which, yeah, that's, I mean. That's quite a feat in New York City. It really is, and, and going back to your point you said about, you know, with chefs not really knowing exactly what to do, I mean, I when this pandemic happened, I feel, you know, I can only imagine what employees and people in the industry who've worked at, in restaurants, and particularly at the same restaurant their mm -hmm. entire career, and all of a sudden there's no place to go to, what that must have been like, you know? So I think that's why this, this piece was written about, re, you know, reuniting. It was like, you know, reuniting, bringing back the team. Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of a sign that the city is, like, waking up again. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, because they're not far from here either. I mean, you're Exactly. Kind of it's a sign that, like, Soho is coming back a little bit. Um, you know, but, like, really, like, New York City as a whole, you know, and that's a big space to fill. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's exciting. Exciting to see the city getting more energy back. And you're, you're on a, I love your block. I mean, you're, where you are, you're cobblestone street I and mean, it's like noho is really uh, is really showed up to support um uh -huh. like the entire time you know but i also think it's a testament to donna i mean you know she's had such a long history over here you know and i think like is one of the quintessential new york city restaurants yeah yeah it absolutely is you know so the restaurants i mean like so the neighborhood like shows up in a real way mm -hmm. um which has been really nice to see i mean I think everybody that came out here to eat on a 28 degree night, um, you know, and share a meal with us. Yeah, it's special. And your space, I mean, you not only have the downstairs, but we're here upstairs and you have a terrace up here. I mean, you have a lot of awesome options. It's a lot of awesome options, you know, and it's also, it's let us keep everything really spaced out, um, you know, because mm -hmm. like one of the challenges like with reopening and like kind of all these you know, this like this moving target that was 2020 is really trying to find a way to make the staff feel super comfortable and the guests feel super comfortable. And this space, you know, we're fortunate. It's allowed us a lot of like room to spread out. Yeah, well, 
That's great, and um, it's exciting. I feel like we're just entering a new, a new chapter, which we all need. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, I try not to get used to anything these days, though. That's a good way to think about it. You know, take as it comes. I mean, like in a way, it kind of like invigorates, like you know, like what small restaurants are, and really moving towards more of like what the clientele like is about. You know, like we're more. You know, great cacio pepe, pizza, roast chicken, short rib, then, you know, six, seven, eight different elements, you know, and a 10 course progression. Um, you know, like one of my favorite cookbooks growing up was Zuni. And, mm -hmm. you know, Judy had always talked about, you know, being able to have a bowl of polenta at the bar on a cold, uh, cold rainy San Francisco day, or, you know, a roast chicken or some oysters and champagne. Um, I mean, so that's what we're always trying to evoke here, you know? Yeah. That's another thing that Balthazar evokes really well. True. True, you both do. You're open seven days a week? We just reopened seven days a week again. We were closed Mondays for a while. Um, say like the first week of March. Um, yeah. That's we went hard. Back to seven. That's hard, though. Restaurants open seven days a week. It is. I mean, I've spent most of my career in like yeah. bigger volume places. Yeah, and day and night. I mean, it's day just, and night. Mm -hmm. It creates a different energy when people are in the building earlier right. and food is in the building earlier. And you know, I I don't think I would know what to do with myself in a dinner only restaurant. Yeah. Well, uh, there's probably not many if any hours that someone's not here <laughs> right <laughs> but, i mean but especially in this building morning. yeah because yeah. the baker you know sheena starts anywhere from like uh, four to five in the morning right you yeah know? i mean so they're really yeah i mean you know now it's a little bit earlier because the city has had some kind of like curfews going on right but as it gets later i mean there's really only two and a half three hours that there's not someone making food in the building yeah yeah, it's cool. This place is definitely special. And um, we just took pigs in last week. You know, it was one of the first rounds of like full saloon that we've done um, in a while. I mean, like, and starting to see some of that stuff move a little bit more again. Yeah. You know, it's been like really interesting. And then watching the bread pars kind of go up daily. Um, you know, I mean, that's, you know, with these long ferments, that was kind of like a, a learning curve too. Some days you're selling a ton of bread off the shelf. Some days you're selling more in the restaurant. You're just kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, luckily, the fire department really likes our bread, so we were able to keep them happy. Yeah, because they're located across the street. <laughs> they're right across okay. the street, so <laughs> here you go, guys. I hope you like sandwiches. About. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're very happy, happy neighbors. Keep them well. Yep. <laughs> keep you safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a good, good uh, partnership. Okay, cool. So um, just a reminder that I, I just launched on my website, All in the Industry, some new merch that I have, my All in, in the Industry hats and totes and host notebooks and pens. And through May 31st, I am donating 100% of the proceeds from our hat sales, less shipping and handling, um, to the Independent Restaurant Coalition, that's IRC. Um, they've been working really hard to save restaurants and have just been incredible. So go to allintheindustry.com merch and get your only industry swag. Okay, so this week for my solo dining experience, it's at 
Zilonen, and here's, I would not have known how to pronounce the name unless I did it on this show and I looked it up. I got this one. It's that you spell it X-I-L-O-N-E-N. That's the name of the restaurant, pronounced Zilonen. Okay, so here's the rundown. The location, 905 Lorimer, Greenpoint, Brooklyn, New York. The concept, it's a vegan and vegetarian Mexican restaurant. The chef and owner is Justin Bazdarich. He also owns um, Chocomoco, which also begins with an X. All these restaurants with X at the beginning kind of completely throw me off, but Mm. I'm getting it. And he owns um, Speedy Romeo. And uh, his co-owner is Chris Walton, and chef de cuisine is Alan Delgado. So why did I go? Well, I had been in the area for a meeting, and this was a new place that I wanted to try. I've always been a fan of Justin's other restaurants. So my experience, um, it was a gorgeous spring day, which we've been lucky to have quite a few now in New York. Um, I arrived for a late lunch. I did not have a reservation. They had a cute little takeout window they had set up um, that I I went over to. I looked at the menu. I ordered. Um, I was given a little number to place on my table. And uh, my food was brought out to me about 10 minutes later. Um, They also brought me some ice water. And later I got a to-go container because I didn't finish everything. So what did I get? I got the purple potato taco, which is grilled cheese salsa crudo cashew queso, which was vegan. And it was Tuesday, so I was celebrating Taco Tuesday. Uh, And I also got a carrot tostada with uh, chilies, torretas, pinto beans, carrot top salsa verde, and that was also vegan. So my take, they were both delicious. Really beautiful presentation. I loved it. Um, Yeah, it was awesome, awesome, awesome lunch. The ambiance. So this is a corner location with outdoor dining. It's across from McCarran Park. Um, the indoor isn't wasn't set up at the time. I'd say it's like casually chic. It has a lot of light, and uh, um, it has a large bar. And uh, the space used to be Savage, if anyone knows that from New York. Um, I went downstairs to use the bathroom. Um, took me a minute for my eyes to adjust they have this whole like space theme going on in the bathroom which which is cool but it was so bright out I honestly couldn't see anything um, at the beginning but it was, um, it's worth checking out if you go uh, perfect for I'd say again taco Tuesday or anyone interested in healthy delicious original vegan and vegetarian fare uh, interesting tidbit so Zilo Nin is the name of the Aztec goddess of young corn. And the restaurant is aiming to convert carnivores for the sake of human health and healing the planet by supplying delicious vegan and vegetarian recipes that celebrate Mexico. And hence, I'm thinking here, healing the planet, why my theme of the space in the bathroom. So it's all tying together. Personal fun fact. So after my lunch, I was less healthy, um, and I went and I picked up some donuts at a Peter Pan Donut and Pastry Shop, which is nearby. Um, I was moving apartments, and uh, this was a great treat to have while I was packing delicious donuts over there. Uh, So the cost of my lunch was $23, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. And their website is, spell it, X-I-L-O-N-E-N dot earth. There you go. Have you heard of this place? Have you been? You want some? I have. I actually saw Justin last week at Thai Diner. Oh. <laughs> oh, you like ran into him? We ran into each other. Well, it's like one of those places I'm not surprised you would run into an Absolutely. industry person. Flair for funky. 
yeah, I love Ty Diner, and that's cool. Yeah, he's um, yeah, this place is great, and he's his concepts are all all um different. I mean, the, I mean, Speedy Romeo pizza is tremendous. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, so it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Liz Newmark. She's the founder and chair of Great Performances, New York City's highly acclaimed catering and events company. So Justin, what would you like to ask Liz? I guess how have they been, like in the catering sphere, handling making guests feel safe and staff feel safe? And, you know, are they still using the same number of people in order to do it? Or, you know, how are the restrictions on the parties, I guess, you know? Yeah. Like, how did they have to pivot? It's a good question. And uh, I'm curious to find out. Yeah, because, yeah, everyone's... I mean, everybody's had to figure it out. Do they have better luck booking outside? Do they have better luck booking inside? Like, you know, and like what were, I guess, some of the things that they had to like change about the way they do business? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I'm excited to talk to her. She's, um, she's amazing. She's, she's done quite a lot with, with her career and her business. So, yeah. um, catering's a crazy game. It really is. And that's the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. This was so much fun. Yeah. No, you're amazing. I'm such a fan. I've, uh, yeah. Me I too. can't wait. Oh, thanks. I can't wait to come back. Um, it's just, yeah. You're, you're, whatever, whatever you do, if you, if you do another pop up, I'll try to make that as well. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, thank you. And I hope to see you soon. Absolutely. My guest today has been Justin Smiley. He's the executive chef of Il Buco Alimentari Il, Il Buco Alimentari E Veneria E Veneria in New York City got it thank you you can find him on social media at Chef J Smiley mm -hmm. at Il Buco underscore AV and at Smiley Pizza and his website is ilbuco.com and that's I-L-B-U-C-O.com you can find me on social media at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to Justin. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with a new show. I hope you'll tune in then. Stay safe and well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.